it's up to you and me to shine a guiding light and lead the way. United by our cause, we have the power to pursue what we believe. We'll achieve the realization of our dreams. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of New Horizons. Thanks once again for your company. I'm Vaughan Benison. Last week we mentioned a couple of items which will be appearing in the upcoming edition of Blind Citizens News. If you haven't received your copy of Blind Citizens News yet, you soon will. It's uh, been put up on the website this week and uh, the podcast edition will be released shortly. The audio edition of Blind Citizens News is narrated by Glenn Morrow, and as we often do when Blind Citizens News is released, I thought we'd bring you the editorial from this edition. This editorial is written by Jonathan Craig, and as I said, is narrated by Glenn Morrow. In most ways, today has been like any other workday, but the familiarity of my job has been charged with novelty. This is only the third day I've spent in the office, with colleagues I've known for a year, but only briefly met in person. Most of our small team still work from home, and in fact, our whole office building still seems mostly empty. For me, this has been an opportunity to explore without the sense of curious eyes on me. In my O&M session earlier, I felt blissfully unobserved as my instructor found increasingly challenging places where taxi drivers could incorrectly drop me off outside the building. The routine of packing up and riding the lift feels at once mundane and momentous. By the time the building is fully populated again, I believe my navigation will appear confident and effortless. But in the lobby, there's a catch. At first, I think the door isn't opening automatically because of my height. The sensors aren't designed to detect people in wheelchairs, so I give it a casual wave, an easy hack that usually works. This time, it doesn't. I realise it's just past 5pm and the door will only open with the press of a button on the wall beside it. Distracted by the misstep in my dance, I forget which side of the door the button is on. But there's an easy way to recover the memory. When I was shown the button last, I was entering the building, not exiting. So I turn around so the door is behind me and sure enough, the information clicks into place. Hi, are you looking for the front door? From her concerned tone, I can tell she has been watching me from behind the glass in an office I naively assumed was still unoccupied. I replied that I'm just looking for the door button. Sorry, says the other woman who'd appeared beside her. It's just here. I leave the building. They don't follow me. Which means they hadn't emerged to head home. This was a rescue mission. Those of you who know this is my last editorial in this role might think this is a strange way to start. Here's a chance to reflect on your achievements, you say. Why tell us about a momentary indignity instead of enjoying your victory lap? I've chosen to avoid the usual gestures, partly because I feel they're self-indulgent and partly because there's something big I want to tackle and my grand finale is as good a place as any. I've always described us as a community in conversation, and at the moment, some of us are talking about blind culture, 
Jonathan Mosen's piece, Why I Am Proud to be Blind, and Leona Godin's book, Their Plant Eyes, as well as their conversation on episode 142 of Mosen's podcast, are good places to catch up. Like my fellow Jonathan, I am proud to be blind in some ways. For example, I've always felt very glad to be part of this community, surrounded by innovators and educators who have made huge headway in the ongoing quest for inclusion. But in the taxi on my way home, I didn't feel proud. I thought of all those people and was certain I'd let the side down. Those women who shared a building with me but otherwise might have no knowledge of people who are blind or vision impaired came to help, wrongly assuming I was lost and confused. This may have had a strong impression on them. The next time they met one of us might be in a job interview. It can be hard to understand how people who can't open a door could also be reliable employees. Remembering my perceived struggle, without knowledge of our real capacities, would she choose to hire that applicant over another candidate? In the moment I was flustered, not by the missing button, but by the realisation that I was being watched, and that my actions, waving my hand in the air, turning to face away from the door, probably didn't make sense to my observers. I felt I should have stopped to explain but I didn't know where to begin or what I had unintentionally interrupted. So I thanked my supposed saviours and swiftly departed. Many of us feel a constant pressure to be good ambassadors for our people and our cause. If we're to overcome the attitude problem, which is keeping too many of us from work, we must be super competent immaculately dressed, graceful, polite, inconspicuous and self-assured. Mistakes will be received with compassion or pity, but they will confirm people's low expectations of us. Therefore, there must be no mistakes, ever. I'm not the person to speak for this, but for women, I'm sure there are many more criteria to meet. Many get far closer than I do, but I would argue there isn't a single one of us who could consistently live up to the standards we apply to ourselves. But by God do we try, and God does it make us miserable. This is why some of us are mercilessly critical of one another when we appear not to be trying hard enough. Knowing how hard you work to keep up the act, it's easy to resent others' failures. Some of you will resent my ineptitude in allowing myself to look lost. Others will believe my sense of obligation is misplaced, that I shouldn't have to teach, that people with sight should know better. Some of you will even suggest that rather than educating them, I should have chastised those women for patronising me. It's a question we're always grappling with. What are our obligations to people who don't understand us? And one another, if we're seeking a more inclusive world. If you are expecting answers, I'm sorry to disappoint you. I'm not willing to offer instructions or solutions as if I know better than anyone, as if there were only one right way. I'm here to articulate the questions I believe we're all grappling with. 
coming to conclusions, if there are any to be reached, is your job. But I will say that while there are some people who are proud to be blind or vision impaired, there are some people who are anything but. Some people avoid the blind culture Leona Godin describes at all costs, claiming it's genuinely bad for their mental health. That's a perfectly valid way to live also. But I wonder if those people have to work extra hard without the benefit of peers to learn from. Certainly, we miss out on their company and expertise. A lot of the judgement I'm describing is internal, but not all of it. Our community is one of the more cohesive I've seen. But wouldn't it be great if we could collectively think about the attitude problem in a different way? If people who are blind or vision impaired, but not superhuman, have to hold a dog cane or magnifier in one hand and a constant sense of failure in the other, is that a help or a hindrance? This is why I've constantly encouraged you to tell your stories, to talk about the difficulties you've experienced, so that other people know they aren't alone. It's very important to celebrate our victories, large and small, but many of us avoid talking about moments like these for fear of judgment. And there would be judgment from some, but from most, I hope, there would be understanding. Next time someone thinks I'm lost, I'll be ready to explain how orientation and mobility works. I think they'll find it very interesting. Some people will find that approach is overly generous, but it's a commitment I'm happy with. I also forgive myself for freezing in that moment. And if, as you're reading this, you're musing about some way in which you feel you dropped the ball, please try to forgive yourself too. This is my last challenge to you. I would love to see us talk more about the moments where we have been only human, how we coped, what we learned. I think adding this to the conversation might help to make our community feel healthier safer, more supportive, and remind us that minor errors won't condemn us all to the workshops again. We've come too far for that. And while we're led by individuals, we have travelled that distance together. So let's aim to approach every situation that way. Truthfully, I would love to have continued in this role for much longer. As you can see, I'm intent as ever on identifying our community's weaknesses and, more importantly, strengths. You'll still hear from me in these pages, but rather than a moderator and facilitator, I'll be a participant in the conversation. I'm very much looking forward to seeing our new editor take us forward, and I hope to offer them all the help I can. Glenn Morrow there with the editorial from the upcoming edition of Blind Citizens News. And as I said at the beginning of the program, if you haven't received your copy already in your preferred format, you soon will. And uh, you can check the website and uh, read the rest of it there, including the uh, issues and uh, articles that we talked about in last week's program. If you've got any story ideas for New Horizons, things that you'd like to hear more about or things that uh, that we don't focus on that you'd like us to focus on, get in touch with me. New.horizons at bca.org.au is the address. New.horizons at bca.org.au. 
If you'd like to get in touch with Blind Citizens Australia, either to find out more about the work they do or find out more about the organisation, have a look at the website, www.bca.org.au, or you can email bca at bca.org.au. That's bca at bca.org.au. If you prefer to do it by phone, call one 0330 I'm Vaughan Benison. Thanks for joining me. I'll talk to you again next week. We'll achieve the realisation of our dreams Of our dreams